Hello, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And a very happy Monday to you. Hope you had a great weekend. What a treat to spend time with Joel Rosenberg, especially when I know that he joins me from Israel. And it's a whole lot later over there than it is here on the East Coast. So I greatly appreciate the sacrifice he's making to stay up late and give you his perspective on what's happening in the world. Joel, of course, is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, His books, as it is often said, seem to be ripped from the headlines of the day. So he's a bit of a prophet, if I can say that. He writes the books before some of these things happen. And then very often, if you follow him, even on his Twitter, account. He'll say, and I wrote about that in my book already. So (laughs) he does have his finger on the pulse. So I want you to read The Third Target, by the way. That's one of his many books published by Tyndale House. And I'm so glad that Joel is with us. Joel, timing is perfect. Last night, 60 Minutes did a story on um, Bashir al-Assad using sarin gas on his own people. And it started out by telling the viewers this is going to be very, very difficult to watch. I learned several things, not the least of which is that sarin is actually an acrostic of the German scientists who came up with sarin gas during the Nazi era. Then they had this footage that showed babies and children and adults dying from sarin gas, and it is one of the most horrific forms of death one can possibly imagine. And I turned to Craig and I said, and when is the last time Syria was on the front page of the newspaper above the fold? And yet, to the best of my knowledge, no resolution, and Assad is still very much in charge. What's going on in Syria? Well, this is, uh, Janet, what we feared uh, most. This is uh, what I wrote the third Target novel about. Uh, we started writing it two years ago. It came out in January, as you know, uh, about a New York Times reporter um, hearing that uh, chemical weapons were being used in Syria. Now, in the novel version, it, it's the Islamic State, ISIS, that has captured a cache of chemical weapons uh, from the Assad regime uh, to use them and to launch a genocidal attack. In this case, it doesn't yet seem to be ISIS who's doing it, though ISIS has been uh, publicly reported to have used some chemical weapons, but in Iraq at this moment. But the problem is that these weapons are loose and they're being used, and uh, this administration is not taking it seriously. Uh, this is why... Uh, uh, credibility of the United States is crumbling throughout the world, and particularly here in the Middle East, because the president, uh, President Obama, drew a famous red line and said, if, if chemical weapons are used in Syria, this is absolutely unacceptable, and, and the United States will take full military action to stop it. He hasn't done it. Uh, he told us that all chemical weapons had been removed out of Syria. I wrote a novel uh, based on the idea that I didn't really believe that was true, and it is not true. And, uh, and this is just one more horror story from a region that's dark and getting darker, and yet an administration that is in full retreat uh, rather than protecting not only our own citizens but our allies in the region. Wow. Amazing. So it's funny because I was thinking about the bright red line, the declaration that came from the Oval Office. That line was crossed. This is a man who gassed his own people in a horrific way. Paradoxically, he used this when there were UN's UN weapons inspectors in Syria at the same time. So it's documented and footage and every piece of material they took just was overwhelmingly contaminated. So there is absolutely no ambiguity whatsoever that he poisoned his own people. Now, bigger picture. It's still unrest. 
He's still in charge. I worry about our Christian brothers and sisters there, all of the refugees that are fleeing, that are to this minute still living in the refugee camp. What does the future look like, and how is there going to be any rectification? Does it singularly require Bashir Assad being removed from office? Well, uh, you know, several years ago, removing Bashar al-Assad from office would have been the exact right thing to do. Um, but now what you have is uh, a, a, almost an apocalyptic, chaotic situation where <clears throat> removing uh, Assad from power would not necessarily guarantee that the Islamic State or something worse wouldn't take over. This is why the, the, the delay and the, and the, and the retreats by the Obama administration over the last several years has been so costly. And this is a genocide that's underway. Yes. And uh, I, I believe it, it, was, it was stoppable uh, four or five years ago. Um, I believe it was uh, even um, um, able to be mediated several years ago. But now we're at the point where we are watching a modern Arab state absolutely implode, unravel before our eyes, it, it, it could actually be uh, the fulfillment of prophecy. It's too early to say, but the destruction of Damascus, described by the ancient prophets in Isaiah 17 and Jeremiah 49, we're heading in that direction. It's too early to, to draw a conclusion there. But Syria will, not, will no longer be an actual nation state, as far as I can see in the near future. And millions of people are on the run for their lives. Uh, more than a quarter of a million people are dead. Mm. And as horrible as that is, uh, you also have the ISIS genocide going on in northern Iraq, and the United States is doing very little. The Western allies are doing very little to stop it. And then you've got this horrific, really insane uh, nuclear deal with Iran, uh, which puts them on the legal path to nuclear weapons, which will make the use of chemical weapons pale by comparison. Wow. Amazing, Joel. Amazing. So let me table that for a moment and let me talk about what is an apparent shift of power. It is not that frequent that you see Israel and Saudi Arabia linking together and saying that they jointly share a concern. In this particular case, it is the nuclear wealth, the nuclear arms capability of Iran. So now that we're seeing this shift, I know that they were meeting privately. Now they're meeting publicly. As of yet, I understand there's no formal introduction of any legislation in the Knesset, no public declaration of some joint policy. But just the fact that Saudi Arabia and Israel jointly are telling the world we are concerned one would think that that would be sending a very clear message. What is the news on the street in Israel regarding this Iranian deal? Well, several things. First of all, uh, you, we are watching not only an historic meltdown of the epicenter of the Middle East, we are watching a historic recalibration, re, uh, uh, reshuffling of the cards here, the geopolitical cards. What I mean by that, there's an historic opportunity for this president or the next president uh, if they have the wisdom to see it. What do I mean by that? That the first time in recorded human history, uh, Janet, you have the government of Israel, the government of Jordan, the government of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and most of the Gulf Emirates, uh, all believing that Israel is no longer the threat uh, to them, that the existential threat to uh, the region is an Iranian nuclear state and an, an uncontained, out-of-control 
Islamic State, ISIS. These are two apocalyptic regimes, both Iran and ISIS, driven by an eschatology that believes that their job is to bring about genocide in order to set up the caliphate or their Islamic kingdom. Now, Iran's view, as you and I have discussed in the past, is to wait to commit genocide until it has nuclear weapons and then annihilate Israel and the United States. But ISIS is not waiting. They believe you're supposed to commit the genocide now, and that's what's happening in Syria and Iraq. And so you have this convergence of, 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 of interests, not theoretical discussion about, oh, we need to be, have peace, and oh, you no, the, the Saudis, the Israelis, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, the Gulf Emirates, they see their life being, and, and their nations being threatened, and they are actually working together. Now, you would expect, in that environment, the President of the United States and the full national security apparatus of the United States working with these historic allies of ours against Iran and against ISIS in full cooperation. But that is exactly not what's happened. President Obama has decided to put his cards or eggs in the Iranian basket. And Israel is mortified, absolutely shocked. Uh, but so are the Saudis. The Saudi uh, former chief diplomat of the United States, uh, Bandar Abbas, actually wrote a Washington Post editorial uh, a few weeks back saying this is essentially the end of the, the alliance between mm. the United States and Saudi. And Saudi. If, they, if America doesn't realize just how dangerous a world they are setting into motion by making all these concessions. Remember what President Obama told us when he said he was going into negotiations with Iran. He said he was going to end Iran's nuclear program. I mean, that's, that's the quote, and I put it together in a 17-page in a uh, report um, uh, that analyzes the entire Iranian deal, which I, which I read through and analyzed. But October 22nd, 2012, the President, President Obama said the deal we'll accept with them is when they, Iran, end their nuclear program. It's very straightforward, unquote. But this deal does not end it. It legalizes Iran's nuclear program, extends it, expands it, and rewards it. Mm. Wow. Joe, when we come back, I want to ask you about an element of this deal that broke last week, discovering that Iran now has the authority to inspect itself. I made the observation last week that that's tantamount to the fox guarding the chicken coop. I'm not sure how that ensures global safety. I would like to know what the average Israeli is thinking about this deal. And again, if both Israel and Saudi Arabia recognize that this is the end of a coalition as it has previously existed, what next steps do you anticipate? Joel Rosenberg is with us, New York Times bestselling author, his latest, The Third Target. He joins us from Jerusalem. More after this. We are visiting with Joel Rosenberg, who joins us from Israel, New York Times bestselling author, his latest, The Third Target. And I'm interested in getting the average Israeli's opinion of this deal, Joel, particularly with the element that was uh, released last week that says it, it doesn't pass the straight face test. I, I cannot for the life of me figure this out, how anyone in the Pentagon or the State Department or anyone in the security branch of our government would think that somehow saying that Iran has the right to inspect itself 
is going to deter their moving forward with nuclear capability. I thought there was a 24-hour day period, etc. We don't have any of that in place if they can inspect themselves. What was the reaction in Israel when that got out? It is, it's part of why I call this deal insane. It's not just bad. It's not just dangerous. It's, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, you're right. It's like Lance Armstrong being able to do his own drug tests. I mean, it just, you know, <laughs> and, and obviously far more dangerous. Uh, you know, what's interesting, the conversation here is um, it, it has multiple flavors, right? Part of it is uh, Israel has been uh, endangered. Jews have been threatened so many times over so many years. It doesn't mean that uh, Israelis are less concerned, but there is a sense that, um, that a deep concern, but also of um, you know a sense of resilience. And I'd love to tell you that the entire nation was turning to God uh, and specifically to Jesus, uh, the Messiah, the long-awaited. Uh, for wisdom and comfort and protection. That's not happening yet. Um, but if you look at the polls, I mean, so, so chatting with people, it's definitely a topic of conversation, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't shut down people's day-to-day activity. I mean, sometimes you'd think, oh, my gosh, how do people survive when ISIS is two and a half hours away uh, and, and Iran is heading towards nuclear weapons and America seems to be uh, through this deal? of filing a certificate of divorce, uh, that can create a lot of anxiety, and it does. If you look at the polls, uh, aside from just people's day-to-day conversation, uh, you know, 8 in 10 Israelis say this deal endangers our actual existence. Mm. Uh, Almost half of Israelis are now ready to go to war, if need be. Now, again, Israelis are are not interested in going to war. I'm not interested in going to war. If there's any other way uh, fixing this deal, uh, as, as many, including Senator Schumer and Senator Menendez, and a number of Democrats are saying, no, this deal is bad. It could be fixed, and it should be fixed, and I agree with them on that. And, uh, and I hope this deal is voted down in Congress. Most Israelis want this deal to be voted down in Congress and are hoping that the American people will you know, light up the phones on Capitol Hill and say, don't do this. This is crazy. Uh, but at the same time, if it can't be stopped, if there's no other way, uh, Israelis don't want to live with a nation that has long-range ballistic missiles and soon nuclear warheads and a regime that's an apocalyptic, genocidal death cult. You know, leaders who are actually driven by it a belief that it's their responsibility before God to bring about the end of the world. Israelis won't stand for that. And as you know, twice in Israeli history, modern history, Israel has taken preemptive action against the Iraq nuclear system uh, several years in 1981, and then against the Syrian uh, nuclear program in 2007. And the news has been full here in Israel the last few days uh, leaks from a former defense minister, Ehud Barak, saying Prime Minister Netanyahu was ready on three different occasions to order the strike. The cabinet didn't think the timing was right, or that Israel was quite ready with its capabilities, but it shows uh, the intent of the prime minister and his cabinet to get ready for that moment. Um, so that's, you know, uh, but, but, they, but, but life goes on here. 
And I believe, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as you believe, God loves this country, and God is going to protect this country, but this country, Israel, needs to turn to the Lord um, and ask for help. And uh, events may get worse and worse, potentially, uh, if God feels he needs to use the enemies of Israel to draw the people of Israel to the God of Israel. Mm, mm. Well said, Joel. Well said. You uh, answered something that I think is on the hearts and minds of a lot of our listeners, and that is, would Israel ever do a preemptive strike? You just gave evidence to the fact that that's not a philosophical conversation. That is a reality. It's simply a matter of timing, but it's a reality. Add to that the declaration yet again last week from a senior official in the Iranian parliament who said that every Jew need to be destroyed. Every Jew anywhere in the world needs to be destroyed. Again, for the average Israeli, and I realize I'm not electing you to speak on behalf of every person because no one has more opinions than an Israeli. In fact, sometimes the same person can hold <laughs> ten opinions. That's half the fun of being an That's Israel. True. But I must ask, is... is, well, I is are they novel. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that they're just used to the declaration from this neighbor that says, we're going to annihilate you, annihilate you, and is the response, tell me something I haven't heard? Well, it... it <clears throat> We are, and Israelis uh, are used to that. However, that doesn't mean we're complacent. What it means is it doesn't shut down our moment-to-moment, day-to-day life, uh, but it does inform um, our political discussions. It does inform uh, the national, uh, the, the way the elections are held. Who do we believe will actually protect us, no matter what, even if it means taking a different course from our best ally in the world, uh, historically, the United States. And I think this has been a big discussion in Israel. It will remain so. One of the things I think, uh, I was asked this on Fox News yesterday, is it go time, you know, with the American system going with Iran and trusting Iran more than Israel's uh, leadership, uh, you know, is Israel about to strike? First of all, I don't know that. I'm not privy to that type of information. But I think one mitigating factor in terms of timing is the possibility that if, if, if it's not an imminent threat like today, tomorrow, next day, then maybe Israel can wait to see who the next president of the United States is and see if we have a much stronger, clearer ally than we currently do. Yes, yes, which really says quite clearly, Joel, every single candidate in both parties needs to be asked, what is their philosophy about the nation of Israel? Still a friend, still an ally, still the greatest person group of people in the middle east to protect us and to subscribe to our values so thank you for reminding us that's going to be important blessings to you joel thanks for all that you do we've got the third target right there on our website in the market with janetpartial.org check it out my thanks to joel rosenberg and you see you next time friends on in the market with janet partial